0: Mic turned on. Sorry about that, Ben. Uh, just kind of as a side, while y'all are getting seated, I read an article this mo- this not this morning, this week, <laughs> that uh, was talking about Christmas and Jesus and the Messiah and um, the odds that were calculated to like one in a hundred quadrillion that it could have been anyone but Jesus that came as the Messiah. Um, just that, just that, just some fun little information. And, and you'll see that why I was reading something about that um, through the message this morning, but I'm really excited. Um, so the title of today's message is Don't Lose Hope. Um, I did know that we were going to be focused on hope before I titled this message, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to uh, overplay that. But um, when you, I don't know if you read ahead this week, but when you see the the scripture that we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews today, um, it's going to kind of all start making sense. And so, uh, our goal for today is we're going to start in that that uh, chunk of Hebrews chapter ten, and uh, th- that we're going to look at today, uh, it's twenty six through thirty one, but then we're going to kind of transition into talking about the hope of Christmas. And it was really kind of neat to see how God played that out this week as I was studying and and praying over this passage and praying for you guys. I want to start out like we always do with kind of reviewing. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. And again, this kind of helps us move into the passage that we're going to be in today. Um, What we talked about last week is that uh, or what the author is speaking of, is, is the boldness with which we can approach God. We talked about last week how that's not necessarily a word, at least that I use very often, but it's something that's significant to uh, our faith in how we can approach God. And it, that's not a result of our works, but because of what Jesus has done. Um, we kind of took a walk back through the book of Hebrews to kind of see the path that the author has laid out in the book to help us understand why we are able to have that boldness. He reveals that this path in increments um, culminating with the passage that we read last week, how Jesus went through the curtain into the presence of God and then pulled the curtain back and opened the door for us so that we could join God in his presence. And that is significant, and, and I think that it's significant too today and worth mentioning that this hope that we're talking about, this hope that we're singing about, is because of what Jesus has done, and we're going to see that play out in our passage today. So through his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus, Jesus permanently changes our relationship with God and our ability to approach God and commune with him. And he completed the work that God sent him to do. That was Jesus' call, was to go and redeem his people. That was his purpose. Um, this permanent change is the single best thing that's happened to mankind since our creation. God created us very quickly. We fell into sin. And ever since then, God has been working on our behalf to restore us. And so Jesus being born by a virgin, according to the prophecies, the odds were not in our favor. But God was working in our favor. And He's bigger than the odds. Because of Jesus, we now can approach the throne with boldness And we can stay the course with the knowledge that God is unchanging. That's what we talked about last week. And then in addition to that, God has given us a community of fellow believers to enjoy and encourage one another as we are walking out our faith. In today's passage, we're going to see yet another warning. And I would say this is probably the harshest warning that the author gives in the book of Hebrews. Um, And as a quick reminder before we dive into that, I want us to remember the purpose that this book was written so that we can understand the passage and I know that I keep saying the same thing over and over and over again but if we lose sight of why the book was written we're going to misinterpret what the author is trying to say so the author of Hebrews writes this letter to the churches that are being persecuted and they're being persecuted by their families by their friends by all the people that still hold to the Jewish religion and faith and now these these followers that these letters are written to who have chosen to put their trust in Jesus, are being encouraged by those people to, to forget about Jesus and come back to what is comfortable. The goal that they were pressing in on them was for them to return to their former religion. And this, this is specifically what the author is addressing in our passage today. So we're going to read it and then we'll kind of break it down and go from there. So picking up in chapter uh, 10 verses 26 through 31. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said vengeance belongs to me. I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Wow, what a Christmas verse, right? Watch what happens, okay? In this passage, we see a teaching technique that we've seen in the book of Hebrews many times. And I just want to point it out because it's going to help us wrap our brain around this. Is The author of Hebrews, and this was a rabbinic uh, practice, is they would take something lesser and compare it to something greater so that we can see that if something is true in this lesser thing it must be even more true in the greater and you'll see that come to play in a little bit but in this passage he's comparing the consequences of disregarding the law and the consequences of hearing the truth of the gospel and then disregarding it so let's break this down and we're gonna make some application okay so let's start with the first two verses and we to read them again because i want to kind of key in on them For if we deliberately go on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Okay, I want to point out right from the beginning that the author of Hebrews is not talking about sin in general, but something very specific. And I alluded to this just a few moments ago. There's a temptation for these believers, for these followers of Christ, to walk away from their faith in Jesus for the sake of an easier lifestyle or relational um, comfort, okay? But here's what the author's trying to help us, and this is point number one for today, is that if we forfeit the forgiveness offered through Jesus, there's nothing left to replace it. The very specific scenario that's being described is a person who hears the gospel, which we define as the truth about who Jesus is, and knowingly denies or rejects it, There's nothing left for God to do. Now I want to point out that this does not say that they are unforgivable or that they cannot be reconciled. The new covenant was established by Jesus and the old covenant no longer applies, which is what Christians were being told they needed to return to. And I find this so ironic because of all of the prophecies we've read and sung about many of them this morning about this coming Messiah, the one who's going to come. And we're going to see some of those in a little bit. We're going to get jump into that. But I want us to kind of have our brains around that, that there is this temptation for these believers in Jesus to throw all of that away just for the sake of comfort. That's what they're being pressured to do by the people that they love. This return of the old covenant is what the author is warning the church against. If a person understands what Jesus has done and rejects it, there is no other way for them to receive forgiveness or to be reconciled to God. Again, we've said it over and over and over again, God's plan was to redeem his people and his plan, his only plan was Jesus and they're being pressured to turn away from him. Jesus explains to us in John chapter uh, 14, verse six, he says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is saying that because he's having a discussion with the disciples and and he's telling them that he is about to go away, right? Right. And he says, but but when I go away, you will be able to come to me. And Thomas asks Jesus where he's going and how they can know the way to the Father. And Jesus says, I am the way. You know what's significant about being told something is the way? It's the only way. It's the only one. Jesus is God's plan, his only plan to redeem his people. If Jesus is rejected, all that's left is judgment. All that language that makes us uncomfortable in this passage is not Jesus simply condemning people for the sake of it. It's the reality that we face if we reject God's plan for salvation. He said in verse 27, just so we can get our heads in there again, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If we forsake Jesus, if we lose our hope in him, all that we face is judgment those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died to redeem them, Jesus will be with them on that day of judgment because we're all going to face judgment. And if we have accepted Jesus, if we believed in Him and entered into that covenant relationship with Him, when we face our judgment, Jesus is there with us and God sees His works and not ours. But if we reject Him, we stand before God alone and we face His judgment. The author then brings them back to something from their past that they can understand. He reminds the, the, the people, the church, the results of disregarding the law. This is verse 28 through 31. He says, anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? who has regarded, regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay again and again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is that lesser and greater thing I was telling you about. These people were well versed in the law. They grew up in it. They understood why it was there and the consequences of not fulfilling the law that was preached to them from the time they were born. And they were being encouraged by their families, by their former friends, to reject Jesus and come back to their Jewish faith, to give up on the very plan that God had prophesied through the prophets so long about. The people that were encouraging them to leave their faith in Jesus were those who claimed to be religious, the ones who claimed to know God. The religious were trying to convince these church members that their faith was wrong and that the one that they had previously believed was the correct one. If you got your Bible with you today or if you're reading it on your phone, if you look at the end of verse 31 in Hebrews chapter 10, you're going to see a little footnote there that points you to Luke chapter 12 verse 5. And I want to read this to you today because I want to show you something pretty neat. Luke 12 verse 5, it says, But I will show you the one to fear. This is Jesus talking. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Okay, so when I read that, I was like, okay, I've got to have some greater context. Let's look at what Jesus is talking about here. So if you back up to verse 1 in Luke chapter 12, it's, it, this is the, the whole context here. He says, meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together, so they were being trampled on by one another. He began to say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Jesus is warning the disciples about the pharisees about the religious leaders he's reminding them that when life is over all will be laid bare when we face judgment that's what he's talking about those things that are hidden will be unhidden the things that were whispered in secret will be made known there was this relationship that happened between the religious leaders and the people of that day that was based on fear it was based on judgment And the people fear the religious leaders. And the religious leaders use that to their advantage to control people. And Jesus is warning them and he's saying, don't worry about what they have to say. While going against these religious leaders could lead to excommunication or even death, and we see that later with Jesus, that would be better than to stand before God on your own and face judgment with no one there standing with you. Here's what God's showing us through these two verses today in, in Luke 12 and Hebrews 10:31. In both cases, there's a group of religious people who are dissuading others from following Jesus. In both cases, the believers are told to ignore the religious and pursue God. In both cases, the believers are warned about what they will face if they choose to reject God's plan for their salvation. They will experience the judgment and the justice of God. Here's the point that the author's trying to make. Outside of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. None. Point number two for today God doesn't want us to see his fury, he wants us to know his love. That's why he sent Jesus. He wanted to redeem his people, and, and God has intended to do it in this way. This week, uh Renard sent me a text and said, hey, if you want to see uh, God being gentle and lowly, read Ezekiel chapter 18. A couple of days passed and I got it out and I read it. And when I did, I was so excited because it helps us get a better picture of this passage that describes God in Hebrews. Look at a couple of these excerpts. I thought they were extremely applicable to what we're talking about today. They remind us, they're, they're applicable because they remind us of the character of God. And that he doesn't want us to experience judgment apart from Jesus. Ezekiel 18, 23 says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? In same chapter, verse 32 says, For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord. So repent and live. God's desire has never been for us to encounter His wrath. He did not create us in the garden so that we could experience His wrath. He created us in the garden to experience His love, to know Him personally. Because of sin, the world is broken, and we have fallen away from that. That's the very reason why Jesus came. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, is that Jesus came to fix what sin had broken. Look at what God says his plan is later in Ezekiel chapter 36. This is verse 22 through 29. He says, Therefore I say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. This is how he's going to do it. Okay, This is how he's going to demonstrate his holiness. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. And I will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all uncleans, all uncleans. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful and I will not bring famine on you. That's God's desire for his people. When God's saying that you have profaned my name, when you have said things about me that are not true, here's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to love you. I'm going to change your hearts from the inside out. Our redemption, bringing all of people back to himself is what he desires. This is who he is. This week we read chapter 16 in our life group. Uh, Listen to what Dane Ortland says about God's character in chapter 16. He says, this is why the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people dozens of times especially in deuteronomy first and second kings and jeremiah but not once are we told that god is provoked to love or provoked to mercy his anger requires provocation his mercy is pent up and ready to gush forth isn't that amazing he goes on to say later in that chapter that the bible is one long attempt to deconstruct our natural vision of who god actually is You see, sin has messed us up. It's made us see God, and we've talked about this a lot through this series. We've been not raised, I would say, but we have learned through sin to look at God as one that is vengeful and that is angry, and that is His natural state. And in chapter 16 of that book and in the verses that we've read today, what we see is that is not God's natural state, that His natural state is love, it's mercy. It's grace. That he must be provoked to anger, but not to love. So many around us have lost hope because they don't know who God actually is. They believe the same things that we used to believe. That God's nature is wrath. That God's nature is anger. For those of us who have chosen to believe in Jesus and and believe that he is who he says he is, we have come to know him by experience. And we have faith. That faith began as hope, and it was built by God as we grew in our relationship with Him by experience. As we enter the Christmas season, we saw all the things around us that people try to use to fill the hole that they fill in their hearts, that Jesus-shaped hole. They hope, but they don't yet have faith. Hope is the precursor to faith. This Christmas season that we celebrate has become a symbol of hope for all of the world. We can rejoice in that. When you talk about Christmas, people associate that with hope. It was hope for God's people when they began to hear of his birth. And it's still hope today for those that find themselves longing for something that is better than this world has to offer. It's God's goal for all people to be moved from a place of hope to a place of faith. That's what Christmas is about. It's about harnessing that hope that people recognize about Christmas and helping them understand that the hope is not from the celebrations. The hope is not from the parties. The hope is not just from the gathering of families, but the hope is because God did what he said he was going to do. He sent his son to redeem his people. It's God's goal for people to be moved from hope to faith, from wishing for joy to knowing fully the joy that is found in Jesus. This is the lyrics from one of the songs we sang this morning, King of Kings. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. Mercy, right? Not wrath. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the loss, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. There are people all around us Neighbors, family, friends, workmates, the shoppers that we bump into. Some know Christ in the way that their hope has been turned into faith. But many of them, though, are still hoping. Perhaps even teetering on the edge, like those that the author of Hebrews is addressing, where because of life's circumstances, they're thinking, man, maybe this Jesus guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. Maybe he's not who he says he is. And we have an opportunity because our hope has been transformed into faith by experience, like the experiences that Miss Debbie shared of hopelessness. This van that was supposed to protect me is broken. And God's like, hold on, I got this. Those experiences are what transform our hope into faith. And we get the opportunity by sharing our stories to help people transform that hope into faith. There are many around us who are still looking for anything that will bring them joy. And during Christmas, we try to fill that void with holiday uh, experiences. And often we do that, but we exempt Jesus from that. Whether those people have heard the truth or turned away, or maybe they've never heard the truth of the gospel, God's desire for them is the same. It's for Him to be known. For them to know how much God loves them. He wants them to understand why we celebrate that the whole world longed for this to happen. Jesus the Messiah is born. To jump back to Hebrews for just a moment, what the author is trying to remind the church is, we for hundreds of years have longed for the Messiah. And this is Him. Don't listen to the religious people who are telling you are wrong. Listen to the God of the universe that sent His Son, whom many of us have had experiences with, Who knew him personally, who saw him die. That is where our hope should be placed. And I want to end today with a a passage I did not know that she was going to use Matthew 12, verses 18 through 21. Let's read this together and we're going to pray. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. That is what we long for. Let's pray. Father, there are so many around us and perhaps even some in this room that are hoping for something better. God, it's my, my prayer that right now in this moment throughout the rest of this week, that you would help us to find not just hope, but faith and the knowledge that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, Ben.